And today I wanna talk about the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And here's how I wanna, I wanna speak to today, and here's my hope from today's message. If you're a follower of Christ, most people realize, if I'm a follower of Christ, I should probably read the Bible. But oftentimes, here's what I found, and I've been there, is like, how do I go about approaching the Bible? <laughs> how do I read the Bible? How do I relate to the Bible? How is the Bible any different from, from another book that I have? And, and I wanna talk today, and hopefully, today's message is gonna be very practical, so I hope it'll be helpful for you today as we talk about the scriptures. So with that said, um, I, I wanna share our first scripture for today's message. It's John 1, verse one. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, can I tell you the primary reason that we read the scripture is to connect with God. Jesus was the word became flesh. I once heard someone say it this way, if you wanna have a close relationship with Jesus, have a close relationship with God's word. Because he was the word became flesh. Uh, the word is, as it says, the word was God. I love what Rowan Williams, he was an Anglican bishop years ago, said this. Christians read the Bible not as a document from history, but as a world into which they enter so that God may meet them there. That it's not a historical document. Yes, there are historical books which do document history. But we read it primarily to connect with God. But there are some additional positive consequences or benefits of scriptures. Let me share this with you briefly. That as you read the, the word, you will gain wisdom. Psalm 119.98 says this, Your commands are always with me. David writes this. And make me wiser than my enemies. Come on, how many of you want to be wiser than your enemies? Come on, somebody. Uh, don't act like you don't have any enemies. Come on, y'all looking at me all holy. Pastor, I don't have any enemies. You know who I'm talking about, that coworker you don't like. No, I'm just kidding. But how many want more wisdom in 2023? I know I do. In Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts with a reverence for God. Here's second is direction. Psalm 119, 105, uh, just a, a side note, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible written by David, King David, uh, Shepherd David. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light on my path. You know, the whole idea of being a lamp and a light, you know what it implies? It implies we're walking in darkness without the word. That we need the word. I remember years ago, Christine and I had a getaway, and we stayed at this place near the Shenandoah Mountains. And I quickly learned when we stayed out there, the Shenandoah Mountains is not like Bethesda or the D.C. metropolitan area. They don't have street lights. Come on, somebody. And I walked outside, and, and living in this area where everything is lit all the time, and when you walk outside and you can't see your hand in front of your face, your boy got scared. Come on, right? I'm like, they got bears out here, right? So... Thank God for an Apple iPhone, because we know the will of the Lord is to have an iPhone, not an Android. Can I get an amen? I don't even know if Android have flashlights, right? It's like a dial-up phone you have there in your pocket. <laughs> Moving on. We love you. Um, but I have my, fl my flashlight. 
so I could, I could see where I didn't want to step in like some, some bear dung. You know what I mean? It's real out there. Or a bear. And, you know, a, a, a lamp unto your feet. Here's what that tells you. Listen, that God will give you direction for your next step. Can I just say this? That some of you, you're making a decision this week at work. God may give you wisdom for that decision, direction for that decision through his word. Uh, you're, you're needing some, and then, then it says light into my path. That means not only wisdom, for, direction for the next step, but vision for your life. And I want to encourage you, the word of God will give you direction. And then the last one is freedom. Freedom. These are the words of Jesus. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, this whole idea that Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, if he says you, we need freedom, the implication is we are bound to something. The Apostle Paul said this, that we are slaves to sin, that sin enslaves us, sin binds us. But thank you, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he has freed us. Can I get an amen? And he says, when you know the truth, the truth is the key to our freedom as believers. Let me, let me get to the main text for today. That was kind of just give you a little bit of some of the, the, the positive benefits of being a person of the word. And I want to challenge you this year. I don't know what your life in the Bible was like last year, but I would give you a simple challenge. And this isn't like religious. Please hear this. It's not like um, to, to somehow think you're better than you were last year or better than somebody else. But here's my challenge. Um, it's just to read more of the Bible this year than you did last year. Uh, again, not religious, not, not trying to earn God's favor, but it's to connect with him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul, it's just two simple scriptures, our main passage today. It says this, Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God, everyone say, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He wants to thoroughly equip you for every single work that you are engaged in. I want to give you three ways to engage with the Word of God. Uh, so here's point one if you're taking notes. And you know if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Number one is this, is love. Love the Word of God. Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed. Here's what that simply means. That the Bible has been inspired has been written by the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you some, some practical. Some of you, you're gonna love this because it, this is powerful when we, when we look at the scripture, that the scriptures, the Bible, is unlike any other book ever written. Uh, that is why we hold this book. This book, we believe, is uh, authoritative. It's the holy inspired word of God. It is infallible. It is without out error. And let me share with you just some facts about the Bible that are pretty profound. There are 66 different books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Holy Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years. Watch this. In over 12 nations across three continents and in three different languages by 40 different people. 
The Bible was written by poets and prophets, farmers and kings, soldiers and shepherds, princes and priests, historians and fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and doctors. The Bible was written in caves and in ships, in palaces and in prisons and, on, and in deserts. Forty authors, 12 nations, three languages, three continents over 1,600 years. And how does this one book have a thematically unified message? Because there's one author written through the hands of 40 different people. That's powerful, church. There is no other book like the scriptures. And just in case you didn't know, they didn't have Twitter back then, so they couldn't know what other people were writing. Come on, somebody. If you were in a cave writing the Bible, you had no idea what someone was writing on that ship. But are thematically unified. It is the holy word of God. A little bit of context, too. Your Bible, most Bibles are not written chronologically. They're actually ordered by the type of books. The first five books are law books. The next 12 are historical books. The next five are poetic books. The next 17 are prophetic books. That's all 39 books in the Old Testament. The 27 books in the New Testament are the Gospels and the Book of Acts. And there's 21 epistles. They're pastoral letters. And then the Book of Revelation. Uh, you can buy chronological books. kind of a fun way to read through the scriptures. You can see, um, you know, when they were written in ter terms of their timeline. But most scripture is organized in that way. Revelation 22.6 says these, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Speaking about how the Bible is a prophetic book. You know, I was thinking about prophecy and towards the end of last year, I don't know if you, any of you knew this, but Argentina won the World Cup. I don't know if anybody knew that in the room. Um, that was a joke. Moving on. Okay. Um, must be a bunch of France fans. I'm sorry. Uh, but what happened the, the week after they won, I don't know if you saw this. There was a tweet on March 20, 2015. Did anybody see this? Jose Miguel Polanco tweeted on March 20, 2015, seven and a half years prior to them winning, he tweeted that Argentina was going to win the 2022 World Cup and that Messi would cement himself as one of the greatest of all time. And, the, and like, like culturally in like sports, ESPN, across like social media, they were like freaking out. Like Jose Polanco, like he predicted the World Cup's victory seven years previously. That's pretty awesome, right? Let's put it into context though. Conservatively, conservatively, Scholars say there are over at least 300 prophecies written in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled by Jesus. You want to get even crazier? The, 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 the latest prophecy was given over 400 years before Jesus was even born. The world's freaking out over a seven-year-old tweet. Come on. <laughs> 400 years, people. You want to get even crazier? David prophesied that Jesus would die by crucifixion before crucifixion was even widespread. <sighs> this is the holy word of God, church. Can I get an amen? 
This is why this book is banned in certain countries. There is only one book that has the power to set people free. Only one book that has the words of life. It is the holy word of God. Forty sets of hands, but one author. Three different languages, one author. Twelve nations, three continents, one author. Hope you're encouraged by that. Matthew 4, Jesus said this while fasting to give context. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of, from the mouth of God. You know what I love about fasting? Fasting reminds us that there are foods that you thought you couldn't live without. Come on, some of you thought there is no way I can go three weeks without sugar. And then you realize I actually can or three weeks without meat, or three weeks without bread, whatever it is. I don't know, whatever it is for you, you're fasting. Fasting reminds us that we can actually go without some physical food. But can I tell you, Jesus says, we live on the words of God. Anybody here in the room would be honest enough, anybody here with me, you get hangry, come on. If you've gotten hangry over this fast, just lift your hand, come on. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help us. I've gotten hangry. That Christina can actually point out when I get hangry. I have certain behavioral uh, things that come out. Um, I get a little irritated. I get hangry. I do. I do. I'm not going to lie. And uh, can, I, can I say this? You know, you know when, when we get hangry, you probably have certain uh, signs that tell you I, I need to eat something. And Jesus says we live on every word that comes to the mouth of God. May I submit this to you? When we're not regularly reading the word of God, we get spiritually hangry. You may not realize it, but your spirits can be starving. And you may wonder, why, why, why am I so easily agitated? Why do I have a hard time having the peace of God? Why am I so discouraged and not experiencing the joy of the Lord? May I, may I just ask you, how often do you feed your spirit? Some of you are finding you fast a meal and you get physically hangry. Can I encourage you? Your spirit might get hangry if you go several days. Uh, can I just submit this lovingly to you as your pastor? You need far more than a sermon on a Sunday. You need far more than that. Again, not religious, but, but we need to feed our spirits. Matthew 5, 18, the words of Jesus. He said, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law. Watch this. Until everything is accomplished. The psalmist wrote that every part of God's word will fulfill its purpose. Will fulfill its purpose. Why is that relevant to us? I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. There are 7,147 promises in the Bible from God to humanity. I'll give you a few of them. A promise of peace, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep in perfect peace those who trust in you. A promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua 1, 9. Uh, the, a promise of wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask for it, James 1, 5. A promise that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Come on, a promise of rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 7,147 promises from God 
to us in the scriptures. As Christ said, these words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Can I tell you, when you love the word of God, you'll experience his life in you. Here's the second point, is then learn the word of God. Now, I don't say this by, by accumulating knowledge. I'm going to give clarification. Because again, to read, we don't read the Bible to somehow accumulate knowledge. But we read the scriptures to have an encounter with God. Uh, to connect with God. Paul says all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. The Bible is a, an instructional book. Hebrews 4.12, the author of Hebrews says the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. Judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know when it says that it's, it's a double-edged sword, it penetrates dividing the soul and spirit. You know what that means? It means when you read the scriptures, that it actually helps you to discern and actually divides the new person you are in Christ from the old creation you once were. You know, Paul said we are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Come on, how do you get that old nature out of you? It's the word of God. It's living and active. How many know the Bible is the only book that's living and active? Come on, how many of you know those textbooks you read in college, those things were dead as a doornail. Come on, somebody. But you had to pay like 80 bucks for them. Anybody? I, come on, something's wrong with that. I'm old. That's, it was 80 bucks back in the day, Okay. I don't know what it's like now for you young bucks. I'm 40. <laughs> Moving on. Here's the word of God does. Listen, the word of God reminds me who I am and how I'm supposed to live. I remember years ago, and, and I played high school basketball, and we were playing this team who were known in our league for playing kind of dirty. And they, they trash talk. They, they, they try to do, get away with some illegal things. Uh, in the game, my coach gave us a, a kind of a pep talk. And he basically said this to us. He said, you all are men of character. We will not react to the other team. We will respond out of who we are. In other words, he said, listen, just because they play dirty doesn't mean it gives you the right to play dirty. And can I tell you what the word of God does? The word of God reminds us we respond out of who we are as a child of God. We don't react to what's happening around us. That we don't look to popular ideologies or philosophies or what's, what's popular in culture. We look to what the word of God says about who we are and how we are supposed to live. If you believe it, can you say amen? And it's words of life. The word of God reminds me I'm not called to live offended. I'm called to extend forgiveness. The word of God calls me. I'm not called to just think of myself. I'm called to care for the vulnerable and the oppressed. It reminds me I'm not called to live however I would like to or allow culture to define my morals. I am called to live according to the righteousness of God. That I'm not called to live closed-fisted. I'm called to live open-handed and generous. The word of God calls me not to hate my enemies, but love my enemies. The word of God reminds me that I'm called to serve my spouse and not wait on my spouse to serve me. All the married people said, amen. 
Don't nudge your husband right now, ladies, okay? The word of God reminds me I'm not called to speak words that tear down. I'm called to use my words to speak life. The word of God reminds us of who we are and how we're supposed to live. Ephesians 6, 17, Paul says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. See, in, in two different verses, it references the, the, the scripture as a, as a sword, which is the word of God. But the double-edged sword it refers to is actually this word that uh, means to divide our old person from our new person to cut out those areas of our life. Uh, you know, when you have an infection in your body, you want to cut out whatever part's infected so it does not spread. That's what the Word of God does for us. It's like a, a tool used by the great physician to bring healing to our soul. But then in Ephesians 6, Paul says, yeah, but then you turn around and you wield that thing towards the attack of the enemy. Listen, <laughs> if the Bible tells you you need a sword, it means you are being attacked. Come on, how many know? God, here's, here's what Jesus, here's what Paul is saying. Listen, you need to be a person who carries a weapon and not that kind of weapon. <laughs> but you need to be a person who carries the word of God in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. And you wield it when the attacks come. The word of God repels the lies of the enemy. Reminded me the other day, uh, and don't judge me for what I'm about to share uh, with you, but. My, my two, two of my children were, were having a, an argument in the Burroughs household. And one of my children uh, called the other child um, stupid. Um, and uh, some of you parents feel freed up right now, hopefully. Um, that happens in my household too. So I called the one child who was called by that name. And I looked him in the face. And I said, you are not stupid. You are smart. You are brilliant. You are creative. On a side note, I'm preaching to myself right now for moms and dads. Never underestimate the power of your words. Hey, hey, aunt and uncle, never underestimate the power of your words over children. Can I tell you what happens when we read the word of God? It repels the lies of the enemy. So that when the enemy wants to make you feel like somehow you are defined by your worst mistake, and you read the word of God, and it reminds you, you know, my identity is not defined by what I did. It is defined as a beloved child of God. And that actually, in my sin, he still sent his son Jesus to die for me. That when he wants me to believe that somehow God is far from me because of what I've done, the scripture reminds me that God will never leave me nor forsake me. When he wants to make me think that somehow things are just going to get worse. The Bible reminds me God has a great hope and a future for me. The sword of the Spirit, church. And wield the sword to repel the attacks of the enemy. Listen, the attacks of the enemy will sow fear, doubt, discouragement in our life. If you're experiencing those emotions, that might be signs you're being, there's an attack of the enemy. Also, just to give you some more practical, how the enemy, here's where the enemy attacks us between our ears. It's in your mind. And oftentimes, he doesn't come in the third party. He makes it sound like it's your own thoughts. Like, I'm not valuable enough. I'm not worthy. God is far from me. 
And the word of God, as opposed to fear, doubt, and discouragement, the word of God gives us peace. The word of God gives us faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God gives us joy. Wield that sword. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, who leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. That word meditate, to give a kind of an analogy or a picture, uh, is like steeping tea in hot water. In fact, I want to show this this morning a little bit to you. Uh, awesome, thank you. Give it up for Debbie. For So you have this tea. And when you put tea into hot water, listen, if I just did this, I dipped it just for a moment and I pulled it out. How many of you know it didn't, it didn't change color very much? You see that? And what happens is if we're only feeding on the word of God on Sundays, this is what happens. But when we meditate on the word of God, when we read the word of God each day, and we allow that word of God to just go ahead and see what happens when tea... If you can see, it's changing colors. What happens with tea, when tea steeps, it absorbs the nutrients and compounds of the tea. It actually takes the very nature of the tea leaves. And can I tell you in the same way, when you meditate on the word of God, you actually begin to take on the very nature of Christ. That you begin, this is why the Bible speaks so many times, meditate on the word, ponder the word. Recite the word, remember the word, read the word, and you just continue that water, keeps looking more and more like that black tea. This is what it looks like to meditate on the word of God. He says, if you meditate, he says, you'll be blessed. You'll bring forth fruit in every season. Your leaves will not wither. Everything you do will prosper. So let me get real practical with you. For some of you, this is going to be very helpful for others of you. You know some of this, but I just want to kind of give a little bit of a teaching around the word of God. If you're maybe new to the Bible, or maybe you kind of, again, you're maybe one of those. And listen, I, I, I have been in this position before where like, I knew I should read the word of God, but I was like, where do I start? And then I get to Leviticus and I just quit. Come on, somebody. You've done that before. You're like, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Then you're like, dear God. So let me give you some, some, some help this morning, hopefully, hopefully. Um, if, if you're new to the Bible, don't start in Leviticus. Just, here's what I say. Read the Gospels three times through. That, that's, that's the heart. And then read the New Testament. I'd say get it three times through you before you touch Leviticus. <laughs> and then I would say is when you, get to, when you start reading through the Old Testament is get yourself out. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll tell you what to do. Uh, here's first is get yourself first a good Bible translation. Now, let me give you the types of translations. Maybe you grew up in a church where, I know I grew up in a church like this, I thought there was some versions more holy than the others. Anybody else? Uh, Can I say this? There is no translation more holy than the others. There are differences. Um, Let me give you three types of translations. Number one is called a formal equivalency. This is what's called a word-for-word translation. Uh, The King James Version Come on, where you, you can speak in Old English. Come on, somebody. Uh, 
Um, anybody else you went to a church where they even prayed in Old English? Thou, Lord, thee. <laughs> there's the New King James Version, which is the more modern language twist on the King James. And then there's the English Standard Version. These are a formal equivalency, word for word. Then there's functional equivalency. Now, these are thought for thought. Um, the most popular translation in the world is the New International Version. I actually have it right here. This is New International. It's the one that I often reference when I'm teaching um, because it is the most popular. Actually, the New International is actually a, a mixture of formal and functional equivalency. It's a mixture of word for word and thought for thought. Um, there's the New Living Translation. That's also a great translation, uh, very uh, modern language. And there's the Good News Translation, not as popular. but. And then lastly is a paraphrase. Now, I would not recommend the paraphrase be the main Bible you read, but it's a great accompaniment. If you have not read the message version, do yourself a, a favor and read it. Uh, Eugene Peterson, pastor, uh, he wrote the message translation as a paraphrase. And sometimes the way the message says it, it just makes it more uh, palpable in our, in our current culture. Again, but use it in alignment with another, another translation. Once you get yourself a good translation, if you're like, I want to take it a step further, and I would recommend this, if you're reading through the Old Testament, I would recommend getting this, is a study Bible. Um, a study Bible usually has commentary, usually the bottom pages of your Bible. Um, now, you can buy a commentary if you, you know, I can recommend commentaries, but what's nice to study Bible is they have it built in. So for years, I read the NIV Life Application Study Bible. That's a great one, Life Application. It's one of the best-selling, I think, study Bibles. The ESV Study Bible is also, I have that one as well. I use that in recent years. It's a great study Bible. They'll have commentary. What's, what's great about the study Bible is it gives you context to the text, so it tells you like, okay, who wrote the book and who do they write it to and when do they write it and what was happening in the history. There, there's, a, there's a phrase used when it comes to, to exegesis, which is sort of understanding scripture, is, is you want to know the authorial intent. So if, you, if you've been reading the Bible, if you want to dive deeper, commentaries help you to understand what it what was Paul's intention in writing Philippians from a prison to the church at Philippi who were experiencing persecution? It gives you a little more context of, of, of why they were writing it. And, and, and it also, sometimes we can take verses out of context and misinterpret. And there have been streams of Christianity that have because they've taken text out of context. So when you really get into studying the scriptures, understanding context is, is helpful. A little bonus content too. A, one of the best ways to understand scripture is with scripture. So I had someone once taught me years ago, they like, if you see a, a truth in scripture, look for it elsewhere. Like, look for it elsewhere. If you can't find it elsewhere, maybe you might question, is this, is this the inter proper interpretation? Does that make sense? Um, and then have a Bible reading plan. So choose a reading plan. The YouVersion Bible app, I think probably has thousands of reading plans. Um, I'm currently reading through the Bible in one year. Um, I, I think a one-year plan is great. If It's about 15 minutes a day. It's for mine. It's like a psalm, a New Testament reading, and an Old Testament passage. Um, but whatever works for you, again, here's my, here's my encouragement to you, is do whatever works for you. If you love the King James Version, then you go and thou have a great time. Come on, somebody. <laughs> 
Like, there ain't no, like, but if you're like, no, I need like a new living translation. I need a little more modern language. Just, just man, use that. Um, and, and find what works for you. And choose a reading plan. Let me also free somebody up. If you miss a day in your one-year Bible reading plan, the Lord is okay with that, okay? Anybody else, sometimes you could, you miss a day and you think to yourself like, oh my gosh, and you gotta like make up. It's okay, just keep moving forward. If you miss a few days, it's okay. If you miss a week, it's okay. Just, just get back on the, on the horse. Um, here, here's a little bonus one, kind of a bonus content, is if you wanna dive deeper, is join a community group that's discussing the Bible or a book or join a faith and life course. Uh, we're gonna have a couple of faith and life courses that'll be great if you're like, I wanna, I wanna study a little bit deeper of the Bible. Uh, take that this semester when they launch in February. Um, here's my last practical component. Is this helping anybody? This is real, real practical. But this is a method of reading scripture. This is not the only method. This is the method I use. I, I like it, so I'm, I'm kind of partial to it. Um, it's called the SOAP method. Some of you have heard me teach this before. I did not come up with it. A pastor in Hawaii called, uh, well, Pastor Wayne Cordero kind of wrote a, a book about kind of this reading plan. Uh, we have some more information on our website about this as well under our prayer page. But the SOAP method is simply this. S is scripture. So start with your, your Bible, your reading plan. Then O is observation. I did this this morning. So that's like what stands out to you from this passage. So you're reading, uh, let's say you're reading James 1. You know, what, what, what jumps out to you? You read a whole chapter, you read several chapters, or you read several verses. Like, what jumped out to you? And let me just, let me give you a, sort of some spiritual why behind the what of, of why that happens. Because when you read the Bible, you're not reading it alone. You're reading it along with the Holy Spirit. And there are some times, can I tell you, there are some days the Holy Spirit's like, I, I, want, I want to stop you right there, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I, want, I want you to focus on that truth. I want you to take hold of that truth. I want you to apply that truth. Which then brings us to A, which is application. What stands out to you in the passage? What jumped out? Oh, sorry, not what So what now? Like, what do I do with this now in my life? How does this apply to my life? Is there a truth God wants me to take hold of? And then P is prayer. So you pray over that. Um, when I get done, I journal. I've said this before, I journal my prayers. I journal what, what God speaks to me in the Bible. And then I actually write a section in my journal. It says application. And I literally write down what God's telling me to do, a truth to take, me to take hold of. Um, so learn the word of God. Here's the final point. So love the word, learn the word. Then lastly is live the word. Paul says it is useful for training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible can train you for every part of your life. You know, there's training in the scripture for how you should handle your relationships. The, the Bible speaks about managing your emotions. Read David where he, he says, why are you downcast on my soul? Don't let anger get a foothold in your life. The Bible gives you direction and training for how to manage your finances. Uh, the Bible has a lot of information to help train us to fulfill our purpose. Joshua 1.8, I love this scripture because the Lord gives Joshua, who's stepping into a leadership role in the military, he gives him this direction. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and very successful. 
Joshua's not a pastor. He's not a formal missionary. Like your boy is about to lead Israel into war. Like sword, shield, got a little blood on his garment from a previous war. Come on. And he says, I want you to meditate on my word. Can I encourage you in this room this morning? Nurse, doctor, teacher, business person, educator, stay-at-home parent. Who am I missing? Engineer, artist, you work in media. God's word, this is from Joshua. You meditate on it day and night, you'll be prosperous and very successful. Now, some of you got uncomfortable with that word prosperous because of some experience you've had. Here's what prosperous simply means, that, that word. It means that God will push you forward. And can I tell you more than anything else that I would want if I were you in 2023 is for God to push me forward. But he says, meditate on the word. So steep, go on the T, read it, and then, and then do what it says. James 1.22, James, brother of Jesus said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. But do what it says. Uh, I, I love James is rather kind of punchy. I think he grew up, gone. he was a sibling of Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you thought your sibling was the favorite, like, <laughs> like your boy was just left out. Like, you know, they knock on the door like, is Jesus home? You know, is anyone coming for me? You know, so James is kind of punchy. I like James. He says, do what it says. He was writing to a group of, of believers who were well acquainted with the word. Now, there are some of you, you are newer to the word. And there are some of you in this room, you are well acquainted. Come on, you grew up in church. Come on, before you even knew what church was. You, you, you spent your early days under a pew. Come on, anybody else like that? <laughs> and you didn't have a choice. Come on, somebody. Thank God for you parents. They don't have a choice. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't ask my kids, do you want to go to school today? That's a whole other message. I don't ask my kids, do you want to go to church today? Because, listen, I, I'm grateful for schools, but I believe my kid needs the presence of God more than anything else in their life. Okay, I know I'm stepping on some toes, but um, he says, do what it says. So he's speaking to two different groups who were well acquainted with the word, but they knew the word, but they weren't doing the word. Have you ever been a Christian like that? Have you ever been there? Can I be honest? This is a struggle for me because part of what I do every week is I study the word of God. For some of you in this room, you are well overeducated beyond your level of current obedience. I don't say it to condemn you either. Please hear that. I'm not like, God's not mad. I'm not mad. I just say it as a truth. And if that offended you, I'm sorry. But I believe it's true for some of us. Like I said, I'm in this with you. And we're not called to merely know the word. Yes, we should know the word. We should be hearers of the word, readers of the word, meditate on the word. But don't leave it there. Let's put it into practice. Because can I tell you what our culture needs is not just Christians who know the word, but Christians who are quick to forgive and not quick to be offended. They need Christians who will love their neighbor as themselves. Can I get an amen? Christians who live righteously, who live generously, 
at the Jesus this world hears about, they actually see glimpses of him in us. Uh, if, I, if you're like me, is anybody else notice that your gym that you work out in uh, noticeably fuller right now? Anybody else? January is the worst month for the gym, in my opinion. I, I don't like going to the like, Everywhere I go, I'm like, people everywhere. I'm like, come on. I'm like, hey, listen, it's February already. Go ahead and just leave. <laughs> the other day I was working. So my, my gym has gotten all these new personal trainers. So the other day I was on the elliptical after my weight workout. And I looked over in this new personal trainer, and don't judge me for what to say, but I'm just being real with y'all, okay? I was in better conditioning than the personal trainer. And I'm thinking to myself when I lift her call, I'm like, what in the world is this guy being a personal trainer? Like, boy, you need to be trained. Like, I don't care if you got a degree. I want to see that six-pack, bro. If I'm paying you to give me a six-pack, you better have a six-pack. Like, I want the bicep coming out the sleeve, bro. I want you got to get a bigger shirt because your chest is so large because you bench 400 pounds. I don't need book knowledge. Do you know what God's looking for, church? He's looking for in-shape Christians. That we're not like, well, I know. It's like, oh, God, help me to do. Help me to forgive. God, help me to walk humbly. Help me to love mercy. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me to be gentle. Help me to embody the fruit of your spirit. That's what he's looking for. These are the words of Jesus, my final scripture, Matthew 7, 24. He says, Any, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anybody else in the room, you grew up in Sunday school? That song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. It's the scripture it came from. And, and Jesus contrasts, he contrasts two different types of people. One, and listen, both of them heard the word. But he says, the one who hears the word and does not put the word into practice, you have built your house upon sand. It's ever shifting. But the wise man who put what he heard into practice, he's built his house upon the rock. So when the storms come, when the waves come and the wind come and the floods rise, you know, this also tells us from the words of Jesus, Here's my hope and prayer for each of you, sincerely, as your pastor, that 2023 is your best year yet. I, I really do. I'm not just saying that. It's not like a cliche statement. I really do. I pray that for you. But here's what I know. Because we live in a fallen world, your 2023 will not be perfect. Like, you might have financial hardship. You might have a, an illness for you or your family. Your kids may struggle in school. There may be tension in relationships you weren't expecting. But here's what Jesus tells us. When the storms of life comes, those who have built their house upon the rock by not merely hearing the word, but putting it into practice, they will not be shaken. And I want church more than ever that when those things come in your life, for you to not be shaken, 
And I want to challenge us this year to be a people of the word. Corey Ten Boom said this. Don't worry about what you do not understand in the Bible. Worry about what you do understand in the Bible, but do not live by it. Let's be a people who love the word, learn the word, but we don't stop there. We live the word. We put it into practice. Can you pray with me, church? Bow your heads.